Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity to come together, to study your word, um, to be in community with one another, um, to celebrate a bit of life, to find some rest, to find some healing for our souls. And right now, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what it is you would have to say to each one of us, myself included, and that through our time together studying your word, we'd be drawn closer to you and to one another in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This series, uh, Rest, has been focusing on Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And Kevin spoke about that last week. This week's message is entitled, God's Got This. So it's rest, God's got this. And let's look a little bit. I'm going to prove this to you. Ready? We're going to search the biblical calendar. Doesn't that make sense? We're just going to, this is the inspirational point. You go to most churches, and the first thing they do is, let's look up Leviticus. Let's look up the biblical calendar and figure out what's going on, right? So, so let's do this together, and I think at the end of it, we'll find a little bit of rest and peace and comfort for our souls. As we look at the biblical calendar as laid out in the Hebrew scriptures in the Torah, which is the first five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, um, we find that there are seven feasts or festivals that God commands the Israelite people to keep. Of those seven, three, the Israelites are required to go to Jerusalem for. So it may be wherever you go. And and in the Torah, it doesn't say Jerusalem because they don't know it's in Jerusalem yet. But it says, the place where I will put my name, God says. You're going to have to go to the place where I put my name three times a year. Now, in these seven festivals, and here they are, the first is Passover. It starts in spring. We've got three festivals in the spring. Passover unleavened bread, and first fruits. Those spring festivals, only one of those festivals you actually have to be in Jerusalem for, but they all kind of happen right one after each other, so you end up being in Jerusalem for all of them. And the one that God says you have to be in Jerusalem for is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is actually several days, not just one day. And it's a really beautiful thing. Maybe sometime we'll get a chance, but I'll just give you a fun little nugget. Who is uh, crucified on what holiday? festival? Anyone? It's a really easy, like, squirrel answer, okay? Who was crucified that you, Jesus, good job, and um, he was crucified on which of the three holidays I've just mentioned? Passover, which was concurrent, actually, with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so as all of Israel is asking for this lamb to really wash over, to allow God's wrath to wash over them, to pass over them, and remember in the book of John, he'll say even of Jesus, look, There's a lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, referring to this Passover moment, that all of Israel is praying and trusting that God is going to pass over them. He's going to pass over their sins. He's going to wash those away. Jesus is crucified on Passover. He's put into the ground on the Feast of Unleavened Bread when Israel is crying out for bread from the ground, and he's raised on the Feast of First Fruits. And Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection, which is pretty amazing. Now, just after that, let's say, oh, I don't know, about 50 days, um, we're going to have another festival that God commands in the Hebrew Scriptures, and that one's called the festival of weeks, because it's seven weeks plus a day, so that's 49 days plus one, it's 50. Christians, we call it Pentecost, because we use the, is that Greek? Yeah, right? I'm so much better at the Hebrew. Um, And then it's also called in Hebrew Shavuot, which means weeks. 
okay? So just after the Passover time, in this, but it's more like almost to summer, you have another festival. You didn't have to go to Jerusalem for that one. But Jesus told all of his disciples, you better stay in Jerusalem for that one. And they did, and something really awesome happened. Okay, then in the fall, which is the time period that we're in right now, there were three more festivals. And there was one specifically that they were required to go to Jerusalem for, and that's the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the three festivals, as they come up, the first one is the Feast of Trumpets. You remember how... Those of us who get really kind of um, wrapped up in end times, maybe we think about how Jesus is going to come with the heralding of the trumpets. Yeah, it's, this is tied in. This is the picture for that, okay? So we've got Festival of Trumpets, which has now also become the head of the new year, or Rosh Hashanah, which has just been there. And at the beginning of that Festival of Trumpets, this blowing of the shofars of the trumpets, begins what is now known as the Days of Awe that there's a preparedness time because God is going to judge us for all of our sins every year according to the Hebrew scriptures and that we are waiting for the day of atonement when the priest is going to place the sins of Israel on a goat, which is where we get the phrase scapegoat, and send that guy out. So for this entire section of time that we're leading up to the Feast of Tabernacles, we as a people have been saying, oh, I did some bad stuff last year. I need to go make amends. I need to go and apologize to people. Anyone ever see Colbert report and he used to do the atone phone? And he'd have his friends, you know, he'd be like, this is for my Jewish friends to call and apologize to me. Um, it's, he's hilarious. Uh, I think he's hilarious. And now you can all say, I have a pastor that walks to Colbert report. And now I don't know. I'll have to pray for her. Um, so, but in my defense, Colbert's a Christian and he's very practicing in his faith. So there we go. Um, so we have the Feast of Trumpets announcing that judgment is coming. The Day of Atonement when God will cover over our sins, when we get to confess our sins. And that goat, it, one goat will be killed and the other goat's going to be sent out to the wilderness. And we'll maybe have time to talk about this at some point in detail. And after all of that has happened, we now have the Feast of Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. So in case that didn't make sense, here's just a linear calendar. I thought even of doing circular for someone of thinking circular thinking. But here's kind of how it goes. Well, you've got these holidays here at the beginning. Three holidays, then one holiday, Pentecost or Shavuot two months later, and then three holidays in the fall. They just smush them all together, right? It actually focuses around the harvest time, and you have a spring harvest, and then you've got summer harvest with Shavuot, and then in the fall, we have the harvest of the fall fruits. So in my yard right now, there's pomegranates, and there's olives, and there's figs, and so you're asking God, and each of these sections of your time, you know, you want to go and say, thank you, God, for the food that you've given me, and you want to go make a blessing to God for that at the temple, and then you also want to be in community, and you're going to have a lot of hard work to do with the harvest, so you want to get everybody together. So the Feast of Tabernacles is also known as the Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Ingathering, because you're going to gather everybody in, and you're going to gather har the harvest in. And it's also known as the Feast of Sukkot. That, right out there, is a sukkah. See the nice temporary dwelling. Some people call it a tabernacle, but that kind of gets a little confusing because we think of the tabernacle as that big giant tent that God was in that wandered around the desert with the Israelites for 40 years. Um, this is a singular temporary dwelling called a sukkah. And if you, want to, if you see two at once, you'll say sukkot. That's how you plural, you do that plural in the Hebrew. 
Here's what they look like in Jerusalem today. So if you're in an apartment complex, you're going to build your sukkah out on your balcony. These poor souls, they're going to have to go to someone's house. It's no problem. Um, It's actually a good deed, a mitzvah, to be able to ask people to come in and be your guests during Sukkot. Um, Here is a sukkah. Um, This one actually looks a lot like the one that I have at my house right now. Um, And here are some others. And they just start popping up everywhere all over Jerusalem. And if you own a restaurant, you better build a sukkah because no one's allowed to eat inside for seven days. And we're going to talk about this. This comes from Leviticus chapter 23, beginning in verses 39 through 43. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you've gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is also a day of Sabbath rest. So technically, it's an eight-day festival. On the first day, you're to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms and from willows and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. God commands you to party. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have a party with pizza. We're going to hang out in the sukkah. God commands a party. He commands you to come and be joyful. And this theme of being joyful and celebrating is going to repeat throughout specifically this feast. Why would God want his people to come and party together for that length of time? Let's keep reading, and we'll try to discuss some of this. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters, Sukkot, for seven days. And all native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt I am the Lord your God. So every year, God's like, you know what? You've now moved into a land where you built your own house and you have your own little field and you think that you're in charge of everything. Every year, I need you to practice remembering that I've got you covered. And I need you not to just go, oh, that was nice, and we're going to do it for a few moments, like Thanksgiving, right? We're going to be thankful one day a year, and the rest of the year we may or may not be thankful. But one day a year we'll be thankful, but we'll also, like, you know, engorge ourselves with turkey and good things. Um, But instead, this is going to be for eight days, and you have to go to Jerusalem for it, and you have to be happy about it. So you're going to be really thrilled and happy about the fact that you're going to Pick up all your kids, schlep all the way down to Jerusalem, build a fort, and live in it with your kids and anyone else that wants to come for eight days. If I were a kid, I'd be like, yes, my parents have to live in my fort. Because for years, I would build forts right out of the dining room table chairs and stretch blankets out. And I'd be like, Dad, Dad, come in my side. And of course, it's probably like this big, come in my fort. God has commanded the joy of my heart as a child, that my parents would have had to stay in my fort with me for seven to eight days. This is fantastic. That we're going to go and party, that they have to be happy about it. They can't be like, I can't believe I have to be in this sukkah. They're all going to be thrilled to come and be together and to eat in this temporary dwelling. And that if you'll notice on this roof here, it's not fully covered. Why isn't it fully covered for the roof? Because you're supposed to be able to look out through and see the night sky and see the stars and see how ultimately it is God that is covering and protecting you. 
This still goes on today in Israel and also even parts here in the U.S. The branches that are they've to, they're told to gather according to the Torah. This is a picture of them today. They have a citron, a, a fall, like a good lemon fruit, and then they have these leafy branches, and they're going to come before the Lord, and they're going to wave these branches and be happy about it for seven to eight days. Now, Deuteronomy 16 also commands joy. Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you've gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, and the foreigners. So if you're not an Israelite, you get to come party too. And the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns. Everyone's going to come together and everyone's going to be joyful. And they're, I mean, close quarters and joyful. And all you're going to do is party and hang out and stand before the Lord. This is all that God had commanded. And then in Deuteronomy 31, Moses is giving instructions to the Israelites and he says this. At the end of every seven years, in the year for canceling debts, during the festival of tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord, your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law, this Torah, before them in their hearing. So also part of the Feast of Tabernacles was that every seventh year, all debts were canceled. Anybody, amen, now I got joy. I'm totally down for the joy now, I get it. That every seven years, God's going to bring everyone together, all those people listed, and he's going to say, New page. Brand new. Debts canceled. What kind of God is this? This is amazing. Party, eat, hang out in a fort with your family, and all your debts are getting canceled. Why all this rejoicing? Well, if you remember in our calendar, we just had the days of awe. We just heard the herald of the trumpet of the judgment of the Lord coming. We saw that he was going to forgive us as we confessed all of our sin. Let's party. That's a good reason to party. He has forgiven us. He has given us a new day, not just every seven years, but every year. And that's a reason to celebrate. Now, in good biblical fashion... That is very interesting, the biblical stuff that we've just read. But, you know, there's some things left out, right? Like, do I have to sleep in the sukkah? Do I have to eat all the time? Like, there's things that we have to discuss. Why do we have to rave those branches around? I don't really understand that part. So people started to understand more of God's commands as they practice them. Solomon, for example, in 1 Kings chapter 8, when he dedicated the temple of the Lord, the Lord filled the temple in such a dark cloud that none of the priests could enter into it. And he said this, when the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you've afflicted them, then hear from heaven. And forgive your, the sin of your servants, your people Israel, and teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave the people for their inheritance. Well, Solomon prayed that prayer during the Feast of Tabernacles. So then it was understood, ah, every time we have the Feast of Tabernacles, we should pray for rain. And if you go and grab one of those branches and you start to shake it, it starts to sound like rain on a roof. So what had started to happen by the time of Jesus' day and before was that people would come together for this festival and not only just live in booths together, not only just have a nice family party, but they would go before the Lord every day for the seven, eight days until the eighth greatest day of the festival, which is called the Hoshana Rabbah, the 
big save us, Hoshana means save us, and big is Rabbah, the big save us, Lord, because every day for seven days, and then ultimately on the eighth day, they would come before the Lord and say, save us. Save us from our enemies, save us from drought, save us from everything, and give us rain. And they would start to pray every day for God to send rain throughout that festival. And they'd come before the Lord, and they'd be joyful, and they'd shake their branches, and they'd sing the psalms, and they would sing, Save us, Lord, save us, send living water. Now, every day, the priest then would go down from up where the temple was and walk down to the pool of Siloam. If some of you know some of your gospel stories, you'll recognize that Jesus also was down at the pool of Siloam. And the priest would come down, and they would fill up a pitcher of water, and they would hike it back up to the temple, and they would pour that water offering out on the altar— along with a wine offering at the same time. And they had these drains that made it so that they drained exactly the same time. They're slightly different. So water and wine are quite a little bit different consistency. And they would pray, God, send rain. Save us, Lord. Save us. Why rain? Because you can't live without it. And in the land of Israel, if it doesn't rain, you die. And not only do you die, but your animals die. And by the way, when your animals start to die, then you don't have clothes anymore. Because that's where you get your wool to make your clothing. So now you're naked and hungry when there's no rain. And when you're gathering in your fall harvest and you're saying, thank you, God, for these grapes. Thank you, God, for these pomegranates. Thank you for these fall fruits. By the way, I'm about to till my ground so I can plant the wheat and barley that will be harvested for the next spring. Send rain. Because I can't get these seeds into the ground until the first rains start to come. And the rabbis even would say, Lord, send the rain, but send it just right after the festival so that people can walk home safely. But this last year, this year in Jerusalem, it started raining during the festival. Right now, the festival is going on. We're right in the middle of it. It started Wednesday night, and it'll end this next Wednesday. So that's why Etz Chaim here has this beautiful sukkah out here, and they've invited us to come and eat in it this evening. And we've had vegetarian pizza to do so. Um, Very traditional first century (laughs) dish. Um, so, So... When the rain comes, anyone here in California been looking at those drought pictures? Been praying for rain? Yeah. We need rain. It also came about because Isaiah in chapter 12 says this. It's with joy that you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And it's actually a really beautiful, amazing song. Um, in Hebrew, that's quite, maybe I'll teach it to those of you who stick around for the sukkah. There's a dance to it and everything. And the word for salvation there in Hebrew is Yeshua. Yeshua, it's the same word, it's Jesus's word, Jesus's name. So with joy, you're going to draw water from the wells of salvation. So as they went down and drew up this water out of the pool of Siloam and started carrying it back up to the temple, they got loud and they got joyful and they got so excited and they praised and danced before the Lord. And the Mishnah says this, he who has not seen the rejoicing at the place of water drawing has never seen rejoicing in his life. 
If you haven't seen this party, you ain't seen a party. This is the best rejoicing you're ever going to see. And the Mishnah goes on to describe how this party went. And the Talmud also describes it. And they said that there was so much dancing that the priests and the Levites and all of the people and the women and all of them were all dancing before the Lord. And that they took the giant menorahs of the temple and that the dishes of the menorahs were so big and so full of oil that they used the priests' old britches as the wick and that they would take the wicks and stick them into these big buckets of oil, and they would light these lights, and these amazing menorah lights would go out. And so as people celebrated, and they would see the water, and they would say, God, send rain, send living water. And then at the last and greatest day of this feast, it got crazy, right? It's your last day to say, please, God, please. And it's called the Hoshana Rabbah. Rabbah, like we're going to just scream out to God with everything we've got. The biggest, most joyful, thank you, God, and please send rain. John chapter 7, verse 37, 38. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up in a loud voice and said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within them. Awesome. Hey, as we are begging God for rain, as we're begging God for living water, on the last and greatest day of the feast where it's just wild and crazy and everyone's dancing and singing and and yelling and praising God and, and shouting the Psalms, Jesus is like, hey, are you thirsty? Come to me. And not only is he saying, I can quench your thirst, but living water, the water you're crying out for, will flow from within you. From within you. That's insane. That he's saying, if we come to Jesus, the source of living water, that he will make it so that we too can share that living water with others. And the next verse in the Gospel of John, John interprets this and says, this is the Holy Spirit. And that when the Holy Spirit is given, this is what we get to give to others that quenches their thirst. That when we, as followers of Jesus, come together, when we come to him and we say, I need you, as Kevin and the worship band led us earlier, that when we come to him, we can say, ah, I'm going to rest because the living water that I so desperately need, he is giving me. And the living water that I so desperately want to give others, he is giving me to give others. I now can see people's thirst quenched. So the Feast of Tabernacles tells us this, this Feast of Sukkot. If you're feeling insecure, uncertain, and overwhelmed, rest. God's got you covered. He led us for 40 years in the wilderness, and that was sufficient. Our shoes did not wear out. Our feet did not swell. Our clothes did not wear out. God covered us, and his covering is enough. And if that's hard to remember, I don't know, maybe live in a tent for eight days a year. And remember in that moment, in all of the ways that you can only know something, not when a preacher teaches you, but when you experience it for yourself, that God is covering you, covering me. A few years ago, I told Kevin, I'm like, okay, we're going to sleep in a tent. 
We're going to do it in the yard. You know, not just like eat in the sukkah, but we're actually going to sleep out. So, you know, by four or five in the morning, I was the only one left in the tent. The dog, Kevin, all back inside. I was the only one still there. But I just kept saying, he's got something to teach us. There's something I'm not going to get until day four. I, by the way, only lasted one day. So, you know, one night my top was like, they're in there. And every time I want to use the restroom, I walk right by them in the warm bed. And I'm like, I walk right back out to the tent by myself. And I'm like, some here, I'm going to make my kids do this. Um, But there's something to learn. There's something that we can experience. The reason why we're going to go on the retreat out away in the mountains and not just hold it here or hold it locally or hold it down the street is because I know me and I know you. And I know we're not going to get it unless we get a little bit away. And we got to be under the stars where we can see that God is big and that he's covering us. So guess what? God's got you covered. This is what the Feast of Sukkot teaches us. He's got us covered. And that's cause for rejoicing. That's reason to party. Walking around and saying, hey, I feel insecure. I don't know where my job is. I don't know what's happening with this one weird boss. I don't know what's happening in this relationship. I don't know how I'm managing all of this, all of it. But God's got it, and we can rest in that, and that is cause for rejoicing. When we think of rest, we don't often think of having a party, but have you ever felt really restful after you've had a party? I have, where it's been fun. It's been something that's been life-giving, and I'm not worrying about the other things of the day anymore because there's been a beautiful community around to teach me what it is to celebrate and to have joy. The Feast of Sukkot also teaches us that if we're feeling inadequate, unforgiven, heavy burdened by our sins, rest. God has already forgiven you. That's what this festival is about. God has put it into his calendar. It's in his law. It's one of his commands. Go party. Be joyful. I've forgiven you. Those days of awe, those are important. The day you fasted for the Day of Atonement, that was important. And now live into the truth that you have been forgiven. And that is cause for rejoicing. Live into that truth. How many of us have felt like, well, I confess that sin to Jesus, but I still don't feel forgiven for it. And we're still walking around with that guilt. Well, what if after coming to confession, I said, okay, great, you're forgiven. Go live like that for eight days with your community. Start fresh. Start new. Those are probably the people that you had to ask forgiveness for anyway, right? Now go and party together. Start fresh. Start new. You'll have something else to apologize for next year. And then the Feast of Tabernacles tells us that if we're thirsty, if we're beggars, if we're hoping for a new life, rest. Because Jesus is living water. And he promises that that same living water will flow from within you and me. That same living water will flow from within you and from within me. So when I'm thirsty and I need help, I'm going to come to you. And you're going to let me do that because you're going to realize that pastors don't have any corner on this market, right? We all are thirsty. And when you're thirsty and you're begging for life, you're going to come to me and to everyone else in the community. Because together, all of us, this doesn't say he promises that living water will flow from within holy people. Or extra hyper-spiritual people who have really good spiritual perfection projects going on. Or people who have an extra, they just love to keep on sinning so they can keep saying grace is filled. No, Paul says that's not okay, right? He's not talking. He's saying, if you have come to Jesus, the source of living water 
then you too will have your thirst quenched and you can help quench the thirst of others. This is amazing news. What kind of uh, reaction do you think Jesus might have had when he stood up and said in the middle of all that, I'm, I'm living water. Kind of awesome, huh? Right after this, by the way, he also says, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine saying that in the midst of those giant menorahs with the priest breeches for the wicks? Jesus promises that same living water will flow from within us, and that is cause for rejoicing. Amen? So rest. Cherry on top. You ready for the cherry? John chapter 1. The word became flesh, and the Greek is, and tabernacled among us. What? Jesus is here and dwelling amongst us. He's tabernacling amongst us. He's sukaing amongst us. He is word become flesh, and he is that dwelling where we can rest. And that, my friends, is cause for rejoicing that Jesus is here amongst us, dwelling with us. And in all of that, let's rest. God's got this. He's got it, and let's rejoice. Pray with me. Father, thank you, Lord, so much for continuing to open up your word before us and giving us such good news. God, we bless you and praise you, and we're in awe of the fact that you're a God that wants us to party that you've commanded us to be joyful, to come before you and to thank you and to be in love with you and to be loved by you, to be your beloved and to be with one another as we express that great love and hope and peace and joy into this world. Jesus, thank you for being living water. Thank you for quenching our thirst. May through we, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help others to get their thirst quenched as well as we lead them to the source of living water, you, Jesus, only you. Amen.